Well, starting a new series uh, today, and we've been discussing throughout the second part of this year, uh, spirituality. As you remember, we started talking about our visible faith throughout the first, the first six months, and we've been looking and turned inwards, and we, we began with a series um, in July, if you remember, we talked about the elements, the basic four things that are throughout everything to do with spirituality. And, and, and I said then, and I say it now, that, that we're going to see some of those things again. And again, we're going to go through these uh, in more detail. Um, today, we're, uh, we're beginning this series called Invisible Attributes, and, and it's based in a, a, a scripture in Romans chapter 1, which is actually not talking about us or spirituality, but we're going to be adapting it from this. Uh, Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, and so they are without excuse. Um, and so this is about God. This is about how God has shown his invisible attributes. And he only lists a few here, but, but a long list of, of things could be could be illustrated from, from nature, from what God has made that show his character and, and uh, just beyond the fact that he is divine. Um, for us, however, um, not a proof of existence. Obviously, you can see me. Right? Uh, I don't need to prove I exist. Um, but what we are going to see is that the, a similar thing is true as we adapt this idea that what is seen to people uh, is an illustration of, of what the spiritual nature is in a Christian. Uh, and, and that's one of the things we talked about. Spirituality, one of the things that defines, and Paul wrote in, and then I believe in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, he, he talked about how the, that invisible uh, what can't be seen, or excuse me, Second Corinthians, uh, uh, chapter three, he, he talked about how what is inside that's real. That is actual substance. That that what people think is visible really isn't. It's not. It's only temporary. And and the the eternal things are the things that you can't see. Uh, and so we have to adjust our 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 concept of reality. And so what people see are going to determine or are going to, or they're going to it doesn't determine, but it is evidence of of what spiritually I am. And so we want to look at four internal characters that display at least at some point in time. It displays uh, physically and we're going to look at one today and we're going to look at integrity. I don't know about you, when I, when I hear this word integrity, uh, really the word simply means honest, uh, but it, it goes deeper than simply telling the truth. But when I hear the word integrity, I, I think of it from a physics perspective. I, 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 the, the phrase or the uh, structural integrity always uh, is what comes to, to my mind. When I think of the word structural integrity, I have a picture in my mind. This is one of many pictures in my mind. Uh, but I think of bridges. Structural integrity. 
These often get revealed what your structural integrity is. This is actually the oldest existing bridge in the world. Um, it's a, uh, it's a, I forget the name of it, but it is, oh, the caravan bridge. Uh, it date, it's uh, in Smyrna, by the way. This is a, a bridge that, uh, at the very least, the apostles Paul and John would have, at some point in time, walked over uh, in, in their travels. Uh, it was, at, at one point, the main bridge over, over this river uh, going into Smyrna. That's just an interesting side note that this happens to be the oldest bridge in the world. But, uh, but, but when we think of the, I mean, the, here is structural integrity that this thing has, this thing was built almost 900 years before Christ and it's still existing, maybe with some repairs, but, but it's still existing. It's never fallen down. I, that's a testament to whoever built that and designed that. And this, is a, this picture is a couple hundred years old, or, or not, excuse me, it's over 100 years. I believe this is... Uh, I think this is from the either late 1800s, early 1900s photo. Uh, but that's evidence of, of, of what was put into that. The design. And we want to give evidence. Integrity is the, the giving of evidence of something inside of us so that people can... It can have something of, of reliability in what a Christian is. I want to talk about several elements of structural integrity in the Christian's life. And first of all is resistance. I'm not sure if some of you know that. If you were in physics class, you've probably talked about this bridge. This is the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Uh, it was built, completed in 1940, and then this happened also in 1940. Uh, she was called uh, Galloping Gertie, was the nickname. It actually earned its nickname during construction. Uh, it is mistakenly, uh, uh, physics teachers often, as mine did, uh, often talk about a thing called resonance. Resonance is... Um, to describe resonance, if you have a, a, a tuning fork and you just whack that, and you, what you're hearing is resonance. So you're hearing a frequency between two objects. And, and in these, these, you see these different the, the cables. And as wind blows through those, it, it makes a resonance. It's not visible, just like it's not visible in a tuning fork. And, and, it, and it makes these waves. And, and uh, this guy, this poor guy, he was trying to rescue a dog, but that dog wouldn't wouldn't come but uh, so the dog was the only casualty on this thing he made it off uh, the guy did but not the dog sadly and uh and, and so galloping gertie was actually designed knowing some people mistakenly think that that they didn't know about resonance and, and that they, they learned about it with this no it's actually designed with resonance that they, they knew that it was going to do this thing every once in a while what they didn't know was that probably a bridge in, in uh, Washington, Tacoma, Washington, what, what is going to sustain really high winds. And, and so what they hadn't done is planned uh, for, for extended high winds, kind of along the lines of what we experienced last night. Right? High winds over a period of time. 
And, and so for a period of four or five hours, this thing just wobbled. And, and a physics principle that they kind of knew but didn't really know a lot about was a different physics principle. That physics principle is called flutter. And they didn't know that at some point in time, it was going to get so bad that you couldn't bring it back. After a, it just kind of takes over and it, it, it becomes amplified. If I had this microphone, if I took this microphone out and I walked right here and started talking, we'd get like a high-pitched ring it was because it's going through a loop. And that's what happened here. Now, what do you care about physics? Nothing. But the integrity of this bridge was based on a different kind of integrity that was lacking. Shoddy business practices which were done to save money. They knew the principles of resonance, but they didn't calculate what was necessary to spend above and beyond to, to make sure that at a higher sustained wind, which you know people in Washington should have probably known they would experience from time to time. And so, usually, it was a fine bridge. But in extremes, it was not. Their failure to research and their failure to, to go above and beyond was the lack of integrity that caused this bridge to fail. I want to look at a scripture um, because these two ideas we're going to see in a scripture here. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak like one of the foolish women would speak. And shall we receive good from God and we shall not receive evil? And this Job did not sin with his lips. Now, I want to stop for a second because we often think, well, yeah, Job was being harsh on his wife, calling him a foolish woman. He didn't say that. In fact, I think much the opposite. I think Job expected more of his wife. He was not used to her speaking like this, and he's comparing her, in a weird way, favorably to one of the foolish women. He's like, you're talking like one of the foolish women. I don't expect this. This is, not, this is out of character for you, whatever her name was. But at the same time, we do have to address the fact that her view was not wise for personal gain, similarly. Now, maybe it was on behalf of her husband, or maybe it was because of seeing her children die. But it was personal. Her, her willingness to give up her integrity or Job to give up his integrity more specifically as we read this story was because of something personal. Or how? And it was short term. If we give up, I don't know what her logic process was. If, if I guess when, uh, when bad, good things were happening, I, I don't know if she, she somehow come to the idea that, that if, we, if you just sacrifice your integrity and curse God, then I guess you die. Maybe you'll get better. I don't know. Just at least pass away. I don't want to see you suffering. I don't know what her logic was. It was not good logic. It was short term. And it was only based on what was physical. 
It had nothing to do with anything spiritual. And we should point out that this, this response is what Satan had gambled Job would do. And his discussions with, with God, this is what he's gambling. Listen, if you let me do this, Job will curse you to your face. No, no, actually that will be his wife. God didn't tell him that, but Job, or, or Satan was counting on Job to do this. But in all these things, Job did not sin with his lips, says. Job's integrity is magnified, I think, further by two factors. One is that he's actually the one that suffered the wrong, while at least the physical I mean, both of them experienced the loss of loved ones through this. But in terms of what his wife is specifically addressing here, which is Job's physical health, he's the one that suffered the wrong, the harm. I won't say the, the wrong, but from Satan's perspective, it was the wrong from Satan. He suffered the physical problems, yet he's the one that held fast. And secondly, he's the one that lost the support group. This hasn't happened to his wife. He's lost his wife, obviously here, as a positive support in, in difficulties. But he's also lost his friends who are make, now making accusations against him. And so he has to have integrity and he has to maintain having personally suffered these things and without any, any external support. It is all up to his internal integrity. And that is difficult. And as we go through the book of Job and we read that, you keep that in mind when we, when we criticize Job and when God rightly criticized Job at the end, I think from our perspective, you keep that in mind, what Job had to go through. And at least in this saying, he did not sin with his lips. The second thing about integrity, the second force, and we're going to spend a little bit more time here, is consistency. A little bit more uh, well-known in time, more recent, was the uh, collapse of the I-35 bridge in Minneapolis in 2007. Um, we're going to talk about consistency in two ways. And first of all, internal and external. Or internal versus external. Consistency. Now, as traffic increased over this bridge, was a lot of attention was paid to this bridge. It was repaved and there was, it was reinforced with, the, with various things. They found that one thing was not, and you, you see this right here is a picture of what failed. And these are, these are called gusset plates. Gusset plate is when you want to join two things together and you, you kind of put something over the top of them. They never changed them. And, and so as traffic increased in the Twin Cities, I mean, you had a lot of weight going over this thing that wasn't there before. And you had a lot of attention paid to what is visible on the top of the bridge and they never 
This is actually, originally, this was underneath the bridge. This is now above the bridge, but uh, in this picture. But it was uh, originally underneath, and it's supporting, you can see all these different angles coming off. And this is where, like, four or five things came together. Plenty of bolts there. The problem was it was only a half-inch thick, gusset plates that are half-inch thick, which was fine for, for traffic whenever, I don't know, in the 60s or 50s, or whatever year they built this thing originally. It was fine. But they never updated what was not visible. Um, now, you, that, that's the plate. This is a picture taken four years before. Now, I don't know if you can see that that well. I, I drew some lines over it just so you can see. Uh, that's the edge of it. And, and, and let me uh, do one more picture so you can see it. Again, with the picture, you might not be able to see that. You see the curve in that? Is that visible? That's a photograph. Four years before this happened, someone, someone where was, was aware that this was not up to par. And a lack of integrity cost one contractor, along with the uh, state of Minnesota, $95 million. That's expensive lack of integrity. The difficulty of matching our internal and our external faith shows itself in a couple of different ways. First of all, uh, this is probably the way that, that we would most think of it, visibly being visibly hypocritical. Uh, there's a couple of scriptures uh, that illustrate this. It says, uh, James writes a couple of verses. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When we see a person and you go, I know that that person knows better. That's, that's hypocrisy. And we recognize that quickly. Another one also in James, uh, it says, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, you, you know things and you believe things and you say these things. And I think that that's what Andy was talking about this morning. As he stood up here, we, we say these things and know these things, but sometimes the putting into practice of it is a little bit harder because there's a lot of things that pull at us. And I'd really like to be here, and I'd really like to be doing these things. I've got to talk about the same thing. Integrity is that the letting the inside and letting the, the I knows win in those discussions that we have with ourselves. And when we don't, when the right side of us doesn't win, people notice the visibly hypocritical part of us. Jesus addressed something else, however, and that is the secretly hypocritical. What's that? Well, he talked about the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. You appear beautiful. But within, you're full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. In other words, they had a different kind of hypocrisy. They were doing all the religious things that people look at and you go, oh, this looks nice. They must be good people. And he says, but inside is where you're having the problem. It's just as bad, maybe worse. Because it is secret. That's a different kind of hypocrisy. We need... 
Consistency. That's an important part. It's not just fixing what everybody can see, because obviously we see that that's going to be a problem. We need consistency to have integrity. The other type of consistency is consistency in varied settings. I think we were talking about this in class this morning. This is one, if you're following the news, you've heard of this. If not, then maybe you haven't. This happened about a week and a half, two weeks ago in India. It's a bridge, a footbridge collapse. Killed about 130 people. This is an interesting story. Uh, This bridge is like 140 years old or something like that. 130 years old, 140. And it recently collapsed. Um, It was the result of a number of integrity flaws. Now, a footbridge doesn't really have a lot of integrity to have. It doesn't have gusset plates and all that stuff. Well, what, what happened? Well, what they're now finding out is that the company that was the government gave charge of this to a a company to monitor and repair that's not necessarily a problem but when they allocated money for it it was found shortly after this so in the last couple of days they found out that the company could only provide receipts for about six percent of the money that they were allotted that's a problem that's a problem now this this shouldn't There's still more to that story because at least they spent some money in upgrading a bridge that somehow successfully stood for a hundred and some odd years without this happening. It shouldn't be any worse than it was. What happened? Well, there's more integrity problems. We have another integrity problem. And that is that this is a tourist bridge. A lot of people come from, and it's just a neat thing because it's so old and because it's, you know, I don't know why. Cross the bridge. Well, they were selling tickets. It's also a paid-for bridge. It's a toll bridge. They were selling a lot of tickets. People wanted to see the new bridge that's reopening. And so they were just letting, it has a max occupancy of, of about 150 people. There were 500 people on it when it collapsed. Yeah, that's not going to go well. Some of them were shaking it back and forth and having fun. And kids. And so the company had people working that were materially invested in getting as many tickets sold in a short period of time because we want to take advantage of it. And so it might not have been so much on the design part, but that's a problem too. And there's one more There's one more thing. The government, of course, is going to come down very hard on this company. However, it should be noted that the government of India, this local government, not India, the country, but but in India, this local government, gave control and, 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 and maintenance to a company that builds cameras. That's a problem. That, that's a problem. The, the, the fault does not entirely lie with the company. If you are allotting money to a company that, that knows nothing about bridge design, then you're a little bit culpable yourself. There's a lot of integrity problems to go around, is what I'm saying. 
And there's, there's various settings where we can see the integrity problems, can't we? So for us, what this looks like is that we have two settings that we need to be concerned about. I think in our personal uh, integrity, as we're trying to be consistent. One is being alone versus groups. Psalms 101, 2 through 7, says, this is uh, David writing. He says, I will walk with integrity of my heart within my house. I will not set any unclean thing before my eye. I hate the works of those who fall away. It will not cling to me. A perverse heart will not be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a proud look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. Now this is generally believed to be David's inaugural speech. Think of it as campaign promises. Because we're in that season. This is what I will do. And this is the list of things that David violates with one single event. He essentially violates every campaign promise with Bathsheba and the case of Uriah. Go through it. Where was he? He was in his house. The exact place where he said, all oh, my integrity is when, when I'm alone, I'm going to have all this integrity. Hmm. I will not set any unclean thing before my eye. No, you won't sit up there on, on, on your roof and, and look at things you're not supposed to. Okay. I hate the work of those who fall away. A perverse heart shall be far from me. Oh. No, 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 it won't. I will know nothing of evil. I won't make any plans. I won't, I won't ever tell my servants to go and, and, and help me put these things into place to uh, achieve things that are less than appropriate. I won't know anything about how to plan evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor... Secretly, I will destroy. I will never attempt to slander Uriah the Hittite, for example. I will never do anything like that. I would never, I would never plot against him. Whoever has a proud look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. This is the only one which he kind of comes back from when Nathan comes to him. But, but Nathan had to confront him here too. I will look with favor on the faithful. Oh, you mean like Uriah. You'll, the man who wouldn't even take advantage of an opportunity, rest from the war. No, that's how faithful he was. Who, who carried his own death sentence. You would, you would never take advantage of that guy. No one who practiced deceit shall dwell in my house. Well, then apparently you're going to leave your house. Because you would never send a lie You would never attempt to deceive a man regarding 
the father of his child. You'd never try to do that. This is the integrity. This is the integrity problem. This is why when David comes to grips with what he's done, he says against God, he says to God, he says against you and you only have I sinned. Yeah, there were, there were other victims, but, but what he's done has violated all of his promises about how close to God he's going to be. And this weighed on his heart. And it started because he was alone. His army was in war. He wasn't there. He allowed himself to be alone. Where he was going to have difficulties with integrity. We need not to rely on being alone. Sometimes, like Job, we can't help it. But, but we need not to put ourselves in that setting But some of the settings is that we find ourselves are in diverse groups. It's not just whether we're alone or in other groups. That's, that's obviously a form of, of integrity that's necessary. But we go from one group to another. In Galatians chapter 2 is the, the account of, of Paul and Peter. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was guilty. Before certain men came from James, he ate with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing the party of the circumcision, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was caught up in their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not honest about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of everyone, if you, like a Jew, live like a Gentile and, uh, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles then to live like Jews? Now we should note that Peter thought men were coming. People weren't actually coming with a message from James. Now, they might have come from Jerusalem. James never sent anybody up there with a message that would contradict what they had figured out should be done in the Jerusalem council. James wasn't going to contradict that. This was a group of people called the Circumcision Party that were claiming something that's not true, but... We see here the problem in, in, in Peter's is his consistency among different groups. And I want to look at the recipe for his hypocrisy. And as we look at wanting consistency and wanting integrity in the different groups that we are going to be in. Because we know we're in different groups. If you go to college, you're going to be in groups that... that are very likely not, not to be spiritual. Right? At work. You work in construction or you work... This, I've worked in a lot of different areas prior to being a preacher. And I can tell you that, that you, you come across a lot of people that are... They're not spiritual. So how, when you're amongst these groups, are you going to have consistency? With, with the way you are in this setting. This is an easy setting. Right? How am I going to have consistency? How am I going to have integrity when I leave this group? 
Well, there's two problems. First of all, Peter had no real conviction. When he was down in Jerusalem and he had a lot of people that were with him and saw what he saw and and okay, we're coming to a consensus and now Paul is saying his piece and, and it's easy for Peter to have that right opinion. But even going back to Peter on the roof, Peter was arguing with God. Keep that in mind. Peter was arguing with God because of his predetermined position, because of the way he was raised. He didn't really have a lot of conviction yet in this view. And this is the underlying problem. This is not this doesn't make him have integrity. It, it's just the condition. This is the, it's kind of like those gusset plates. They're, they're just kind of starting to wobble a little bit. And, and, and the setting is getting right for the problem to happen, whatever that is. And so he's he not got a lot of conviction where by himself he can, like Job, say, listen, this is what I'm going to do, and I don't care who is with me. I don't care if my own wife is, is in disagreement. This is what I'm going to do. That takes great conviction. But then we get authority. An authority, or people pretending, as I said. There's, there's some thing that's, that's going to come in and say, well, this, everybody's saying this. It might be on the basis of majority. It might be on the basis of, maybe not the majority, the experts. The experts say. You've heard a lot about experts. And when we're, when we're presented with a group of people that know more than me, if I don't have conviction in what I believe scripturally, I will fold. I won't have the confidence. And that's when the hypocrisy and the integrity, uh, my lack of integrity, will come. The lack of integrity is already there. It just hasn't been revealed yet. It just needs that, that thing to push it over the edge. Do I really believe everything in here? Everything. Because it will be tested. Or when I'm around Christians, I will act or say or confirm a certain thing. But when I get around another group, I'm like, if I'm not so confident, maybe I just won't say anything. And I think that's what happens with the, with the group around here. Because now what's the condition? Now you have Barnabas and you have some of these others. Well, if Peter's not doing it, Peter's who? Peter's the authority. Oh, if this authority is not, then maybe I'm wrong. And right on down the line, there's all these groups that are not quite convinced yet. And so as an authority presents it down the line, each one kind of falls over like a domino. At some point, and fortunately here it's Paul. Paul says, we've got to put a stop to this. Paul's the domino that's not going to fall in this chain. Someone has to stand and say, no. This is what it says.
So, I want to leave you with a challenge. And that is to rehearse. Rehearse. It, mind. There's a guy by the name of uh, Judd, I won't do his, Bia Sioto. He did some, uh, I forget when or where, uh, I was reading a report about it. Uh, he, did, he did some experiments on visual, what he called visualization. He was an athlete. He was a bodybuilder, but he did some, he had some opinions about visualization and success. And so he took three groups of, of um, I think, college basketball players, and he tested them over 30 days. And, and he divided, as I say, into three groups. One group did nothing. They were going to shoot baskets, and then they were going to shoot baskets at the end of the, the 30 days. And they were good. Then he had a group which only practiced for a certain amount each day. And then he had a, a third group that only did visualization. In other words, they only practiced in their mind. They never touched a basketball for the same 30 days. But they had to say, spend the same amount of time as the, kid, the ones who practiced. I think it was just free throws. Now, obviously, the, the, the one group did as bad or worse after 30 days, the first group. The, the, the group that uh, did the, the physical practice improved, they're, they're, it was like 24%. They, they, they were making 24% higher shots. The group that just did mental practice improved like 22 or 23%. Well, physical practice, physical, doing things physically is good, but, but it show, he showed the idea of if you could then combine visualizing things before you are in the situation, you're more likely, I don't know if it's confidence or if it's just, I don't know what the element is. But visualization is so important. Understanding where we're going before we get there, in other words. Have you ever thought about, here's a, a conversation that, that I could have. What would I say? Doing things like that. I was doing this actually. I, sitting in the middle of the woods, is boring for hours. It's boring. I think, I think I was doing this, actually. Just kind of my, my mind runs, and I was thinking of something, and four deer popped out behind me. So I was not paying attention. It was really, I was like, the one time I, my mind ran on me. But still valuable time spent. Because it's rehearsing what I would do in a particular situation. If that conversation comes up, you ever rehearse? This tends to be what we don't do. We tend to rehearse the wrong thing. You ever do that? That person ever says that. I'm, I've got, I'm good at that. I'm good. You know why I'm so, I, I'm good at, at cutting someone. I'm really good at that. You know why? Because sometimes I rehearse. Oh, if that person, oh man, I thought of the good, perfect thing I would have said to them. You do that a, like after. And what am I doing? I'm rehearsing what's going to happen. And then, you know what happens when I find myself in those situations where someone comes, I'm ready. Why? Because I've rehearsed it. I've thought about it, and I know right where to go. And so if we rehearse failure, we're going to get failure. We're going to get lack of integrity. So, so the goal is to rehearse so that you're a self-fulfilling prophecy in the same in the, in the good way. Know what types of things you know what types of things are argued. 
You know what types of things are in the environments that, that you're around? Or in? And the people you're around? Rehearse the types of things that they say. Be ready for it. When people challenge the existence of Christ. Or, or the resurrection of Christ. Or a moral thing that you do. Or a thing that you don't believe in doing. What happens in those situations if you're ready for it? You get a text from your buddies. Oh, what do I say? If you rehearsed, it's, this is why. Rehearse. And uh, I'm going to leave it there. Stand.